0: Welcome back to the Drum Network podcast. I'm the editor of the Drum Network, Chris Sutcliffe. This episode, we're going to be taking a look at the current reality of influencer marketing. Everything from common misconceptions about what influencer marketing actually is, to opportunities for growth. We're first going to hear from Bridie Lipscomb, who is the global managing director and co-founder of Cult, about the realities of choosing the right influencers to work with and how you set KPIs. Then in the second half of the episode you're going to hear from Sophie Crowther who's the head of influencer talent for APAC at Brave Bison. She's going to take us through the potential future of things like virtual influencers and more importantly why networks are part and parcel of an influencer's appeal to brands. To begin with though Bridie's going to tell us who she is and where she comes from.
1: My name is Bridie Lipscomb. I am the Global MD of CULTS. We are a creative agency based in London and New York. We have um, been working now for seven years across the beauty, fashion, wellness, and luxury sectors. At first, working with influencers was very much seen as transactional. You would be employing them to amplify and you know just focus on their reach and i think over time we have all grown to accept that actually true value from an influencer partnership or relationship comes over time it also doesn't necessarily come from those with the highest reach it really is about how you can create a relationship that further demonstrates or creates social proof for who you are as a brand um, or as a service to your audience so for me, I, I think that we, you know, have seen over time this this real attitude shift of what a a successful partnership has to be, um, and really understand that they come in in many shapes, forms, and sizes. There really is no one size fits all, but the absolute truth that it should be a long term partnership is is something that um, all of our partner clients, I think, now very much appreciate.
0: Yeah. And where's that recognition coming from? Is that being driven by influencers, by agencies, a bit of a combination of both?
1: I would actually say a combination of both. You know, I, I, I actually think that um, often influencers, to use that word, um, will educate brands on what their audience wants and they will often be the ones that come to the realisation of what the correct way to communicate with an audience is and so them identifying you know that what works best for their audience is long term relationships, is true authenticity in a partnership You know, is something that is over time something that creates loyalty sales etc, they're the ones that will often have spotted this first because they're very attuned to what their audience responds to, you know they are often you would term an influencer as somebody who has a significant audience and they've often built that because they are the experts. So I would say that most of us are, when I say most of us are, say agencies and brands are aligned to this sort now but often uh, we will be led there um, by the content creators that we work with. They will see the trend, they will see the data first, they will see that audience response. So I would say it's always led uh, by the talent um, it just uh, means you need to be listening to them as much as possible
0: how then should brands go about choosing the correct influencers to work with particularly now that you know with the trends we've seen over the course of lockdown with Mm -hmm. niche influencers becoming much more i suppose vital to their communities how do you go about identifying them and choosing the right ones to work with
1: i think there are two separate ways to approach this if you're an established brand or an emerging brand, I think you have to look at this in, in two very distinct ways. An established brand really should adopt practices to, to not have to pitch new influences or find them. You know, as an established brand, you should have um, people of influence come to you when they appreciate your product, appreciate your service, absolutely believe in what it is that you're trying to do as a brand. And so therefore having this view that you need to go out and find influence is almost the wrong way of of considering your recruitment you know approach it shouldn't be that way you should be looking at how you can be open as a brand consistently communicate that you're open to collaboration you're open to conversation ensure that those channels are open for true advocates to approach you to partner because that is where to use a terrible phrase, that's where the magic will happen. You shouldn't be having to go out and pitch that you're a fantastic brand to work for. It should be the other way around. If that's not happening, you should ask yourself why. If you do not have people coming to you to say, we want to work with you, we want to collaborate, the same goes for me as an agency you know we all have people email us every day wanting to work and collaborate with us not just you know as a client side but as creators etc you need to ensure that there is a consistent flow of people coming to you to, to want to partner and if that's not happening you do need to ask yourself why are you not putting yourself out there in a human way are you not being clear that that is something you would be open to considering you know how what is your community management strategy like are you responding to people who are talking about you authentically or organically you do have to come back to that why because it is and should be possible if your product service or brand is 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 providing value in the right way now i of course appreciate sometimes there is a need to move at pace there is a need to find the right partners and talent and so therefore my First piece of advice to an established brand would be to go where your audience are. Again, don't hunt for the person look for the audience look for the conversation look for the attention whether it is as simple as looking at the most popular hashtags around the conversation you wish to have or the service that you offer or if it is looking you know at the data from your consumers how did they find you where did they come from look for that look for those trends and then these you know your ideal amplification partners your influencers will be there so it's it's always making sure that you just don't go hunting for that right fit of that right person which i do think is somewhat of an old school approach you know my so essentially my two lead points would be ensure that you're open for the most authentic partnerships to come to you and to find the right partners look for the audience If you can generate positive sentiment, you know, brand loyalty from that 100, that core will be the most valuable feedback loop to you and is the perfect place for you to start creating testimonials, which you can amplify yourself. The reality is, the first 100 people that you would identify to be your consumer influencers are never going to be 100% thrilled. Okay, they may be, but those few percent that aren't, are quite possibly the most valuable people to you when you're starting out a brand because if you can figure out a way to solve problems or to work with people who who think there are issues with what it is you're offering and refine your product and service that is you developing a retention strategy early on and that is for me, how you start to develop a very, very valuable network of influencers, because again, in 2020, I think people of influence can just be your neighbor from across the street who tells you about something. This idea that, you know, you know, to be an influencer, you have to have millions of followers, it's it's, it's outdated, you know, so if you can, as a newer brand, establish a network of 100 consumers that really believe in what it is you're trying to do, that is absolutely the first step. To to having influence that can drive social proof, and for you as a brand, can can move the needle.
0: I suppose that goes back to what you're saying about it: moving from a transactional sort of uh, way of thinking to actually having that network of people who you can use to communicate directly with an audience.
1: Mm-hmm. Exactly. You know, and and you know, we are. If you look at uh, you know the ways as, as brands as we are amplifying anything that we're doing, you know, there is. A clear trend that overproduced content is not, there is no appetite for it now. It is about captured content on a mobile. It is about honesty. And we've been saying this for such a long time, but in this current climate, People don't want to see that you've gone out and spent millions of pounds on a beautifully shot ad campaign with very expensive talent. They just want to hear another human voice appear saying that they appreciate what you do and recommending it to you and and it being relevant. And if that comes across a little grainy and if that's shot in someone's phone in a bathroom... All the better
0: the, the marketing industry is typically geared around you know setting KPIs for yep. wide marketing campaigns that are very professionally produced yeah so how do you go about setting KPIs for the influencer part of a campaign specifically
1: there are three areas that I would consider uh, they would be can you create social proof of your product how do we drive mm-hmm. sales and loyalty and ultimately can you and are you listening to the level of insight that you are gaining from this partnership or relationship? So to start with social proof, as I've mentioned, right now, you know we are seeking guidance from our peers. It's, a, it's an incredible time of uncertainty. So looking at the work that you have done with any content creator and assessing the sentiment, the audience response, to that content and looking at if you have created something that really does demonstrate what you offer is great you know really providing a review of value really creating that moment of social proof have you done that and there there isn't really a way to say thumbs up or thumbs down on that it is a sentiment measure it is looking at those qualitative comments it is you know assessing their audience response it is also asking you know the influencer that you partnered with what does your inbox say what's the response you're seeing behind the scenes it's really digging into that sentiment and ensuring that you also get that influencer's gut feel on what their audience thinks of this partnership because again as i've mentioned they absolutely will have such a clear understanding of of who it is that they're, they're talking to. Now, to your point, we also must, as marketeers, ensure that we are being accountable for every pound or dollar that we are spending. You know, at the moment, you know, especially in the beauty industry, we are seeing incredibly high ROI on influencer partnerships. A number of reports that I'm seeing is is almost $1 in gets you $5 out. It can be that transactional. You know, we are seeing incredible um sales results from the partnerships that, that we are running. The way to take this a little bit further is to consider how you can not just integrate a sales offer a code a tag into the content but consider how you may layer in a loyalty play to the content that the creator is building with you so is there a way to link a subscription offer to what they're doing is this an offer that runs for a year is this an offer that improves for you know over time for that audience loyalty Um, brand loyalty and repeat purchase is something that we are seeing linked to long-term influencer partnerships so consider when you are mapping out okay how will we assess the sales and the loyalty impact of this partnership consider it over time consider it over six months consider it over a year because if you are talking about an impulse purchase okay you may see a small sales spike if we are talking um you know high-end luxury, premium skincare. Be mindful that this this partnership and this relationship will need to go for a year as people carefully consider that purchase, as people carefully consider whether they repurchase. So it is kind of sales offers, incentives and loyalty plays that are unique and can be bedded into that content over time that should be the most powerful assessment of that partnership. But I would, I would in my opinion, say that the third key metric is remembering that this partner is an expert content creator they are an expert in communicating to the, who, the audience whom you wish to sell so if any part you leave or have any partnership that you are not gaining new product development insights content creation pilots from then you are missing a key uh, kpi from that you, know, you absolutely need to make sure that you are providing a a sort of forum or a space for your partners to ideate with you
0: how widespread is that recognition that you do have to work with your partners to actually get the most out of that feedback of that qualitative feedback or is there still a kind of lack of understanding i suppose on brand side that the, the, the people do have a genuine part to play in not just the creation but the analytics as well
1: i think there is the partnerships that we have as an agency there certainly is Um, the appetite, because we are seeing the results from these truthful collaborations. Um, I would say, you know, as marketeers, we're always trying to move at pace. You know, again, even even more so. You know, as we've all had to pivot our marketing communication strategies rapidly with the changing yeah. environment, and often that's an
0: understatement, I think.
1: Yeah, right. You know, and and therefore sometimes reactive strategy and planning at pace will mean that you focus purely on those immediate sales metrics and move on, and and it can be challenging to close that feedback loop. So I I think that um, the appetite is there the understanding is there it is ensuring that there is time to commit to that that's the challenge that that i see Um, but again it you know it's it's one of those it's one of those dream kpis to to always get to and i think one of the ways to overcome this is to just bed the uh insights of the new product development or the creative development into the campaign you know, into the work that you're doing, you know, when and again we we've done a number of campaigns where we have, you know, bedded into the initial ask and the initial collaboration, you know, saying to the influencer, but we want to know where you think we should go next. Let's ask your audience. Let's make that a part of what we do and, and not make it an afterthought. So the way that we're finding souls with our clients is is to bed that into the campaigns early on and not have it just feel like it's this follow up road that you have to go down that that would be my suggestion for overcoming that but certainly i, I am seeing an appetite for that on our side
0: well brady thank you so much for that it's been absolutely fascinating where can our listeners find you then where, where can they go to seek you out
1: so you can find me on linkedin and you can also find me on instagram but more importantly you can find my brilliant team who are a lot smarter than me at cult LDN <laughs> on instagram and um, we have um we've just uh, launched our mentorship program so every single person at cult now is a mentor for Uh, individuals in the industry. So there's ways to not just access me, but every single member of our team here and in the US. But that's all on Instagram at cultldn.
2: So uh, hi, my name is Sophie Crowther. I'm the head of Influencer Talent for Brave Bison APAC. And for those that don't know who Brave Bison are, um, we're a social agency specialising in creation distribution and monetization of social content across a whole host of platforms we're based in london singapore and tokyo and we do everything from creative creative campaign management and production all the way to publishing and paid social um and then me how i got into it good question (laughs) um so (laughs) i have i've actually been with brave bison for six years um so my first job out of university um so i was in the london office for three years kind of working across all manner of talent parts of the business. Um, we were an MCN, kind of our heritage, and then we mm. moved into exclusive ta- talent management. Um, and then in 2017, I moved over to Singapore, which is where I'm taking this call from, this glorious podcast from. Um, <laughs> and I've nice. been here, <laughs> yeah, I've been here for three years. And yeah, heading up the talent division for the whole region, really. Mm. So um, extremely, extremely exciting, a bit of a whirlwind, but yeah, very <laughs>
0: the perennial question that always comes up when we talk to people who don't necessarily immerse themselves in the influencer world is that Mm. there are still concerns about brand safety. Mm. And, you know, we only tend to hear about influencers outside of kind of the influencer sphere when they're, you know, they they behave badly or they say something Mm. controversial. Mm. that's obviously not the case for the vast majority of them. But to what extent are those concerns well-founded and how do we then go about proving that influencers are brand safe?
2: Yeah. So I mean, yeah, there are concerns around it and and very and fair enough, you know we have to look after that um that's that's obvious. What I would say is that brand safety is so subjective for every brand, so what mm-hmm. one brand deems unsafe another would be perfectly comfortable with so we can pretty early on in in our relationship with a with a client understand where those lines are, are drawn um so that you know we can do our due diligence at the beginning of the talent process um, to try and cut out anything that might not go through so the thing that you can do kind of at the beginning stages is is your due diligence so you know google simple as it said as it sounds is a good place to start you know have look on have they come up in any controversial news stories is there any red flags that could mean that they are at odds with your brand values and and you know if you feel like they would be detrimental to your brand then you can simply decide not to pursue that talent at that time mm. you know no one no one gets harmed whatever Um, but it is a bit different when you are in the middle of a talent partnership. So, and again, I think this kind of goes back to my point before, which is that creators are people, um, and it can just take one tweet or one Instagram post, um, where they might say something out of passion or anger and, particularly now at a time when the world is so volatile and creators are speaking out and up about issues that are extremely important, like Black Lives Matter, social justices, feminism politics. And as a brand, I think you need to be ready to to kind of take that on and have a strategy in place. Um mm. so that if something does happen, you are kind of prepared for it. And, you know, I think I'm sure you've heard of the Munro, Bergdorf and L'Oreal um, thing that happened a couple, of yeah. months, a couple of months ago. I think that's a, a good example of this and a, a lesson that can be learned. Um, so for those that don't know, um, L'Oreal hired a transgender activist to be their first transgender model for a major campaign in 2017, um, but then dropped her when she spoke out on social media about racism. Um, so, you know, unfortunately, this is an example of a brand who didn't really know you know the, the the talent that they were working with i mean she was an activist and that's kind of her that's what she stands for and she is constantly fighting for equality and justice and that is in her remit that's why people follow her and love her in this year um it kind of came full circle and Monroe Bergdorf spoke out against l'oreal after they posted a, a black square saying they were in solidarity with blm um it was a whole thing and I mean, now, now Monroe is on the. Um, I think that she's on the board for their um, uh, diversity uh, and inclusion um, board, so that she's actually now advising them on how to be better. But I think this this is to, this is my, the, my my point is is that that is a, an example of a time when a, a brand shouldn't be or their initial reaction to someone suddenly in their eyes becoming unsafe, brand unsafe. Um, is not to just immediately sack them, but to maybe yeah. take a step back and think, is this actually a time when we as a brand, we as a business can be better and evolve? And is this a time to reflect on something, whatever that might be? Um, and particularly now, just there could be an opportunity to to be better. Um, obviously, it has to be looked at. And if it is something, you know, completely reprehensible or illegal or, you know, just, Vile, then that's a different thing and um, you know similar decisions can be made like dropping someone from a campaign but yeah of course I think it's just yeah really the word brand safe is so nuanced and it is different for every brand but it's about I think just as we are evolving as a people and time is going on being ready as a brand to also evolve with that if Mm. the opportunity arises
0: yeah certainly it's almost not using the influencer just as kind of a a marketing effort but almost exactly. uh, not this sounds really mercenary but as a bit of a, a, a research tool and to yeah. understand exactly what's going on within that circle.
2: Absolutely yeah I mean they are a voice for exactly the audience that you are basically paying for you know they are speaking for yeah. them and to just kind of cut them and get rid of them without really thinking or feeling like this could be an op- a good opportunity is, is a missed opportunity.
0: And more than anything else I suppose that if you know you have them to say well you know will you help us mm. sort of get the word out about our products or our services yeah. you expect that they're going to have a much better a much more grounded a much more real understanding yeah. of how people see your brand anyway
2: exactly and they are they're people they have feelings they have emotions they will get angry and they'll say something and it's just yeah figuring out you know what is the line and just council culture is a big problem at the moment to and mm. it's I guess yeah just figuring out where yeah as a brand where you can be more sit comfortably without being silly um, yeah you know, certainly deep end.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and so based on based on everything that we've said so far mm. what then would be the kind of the the single best piece of advice for working with influencers whether that's right from the start of the process through to as you said kind of maintaining that relationship and understanding that they are people
2: stop treating them like they're just an instagram handle
0: stop mm.
2: stop treating them like they're just a name on a screen as I said, like they are people and I think once you can recalibrate that in your mind and just reframe that, the whole process just changes and becomes far more enjoyable um, when you really do, you have a real human relationship with them, you bring them in early on, you have a collaborative, you know, collaborative ex- moments, whether that's meetings, calls, coffees, um, to just meet them, really get to know them and then that will just yeah as I say be way more enjoyable you'll have a far deeper longer lasting relationship with that talent that is much a much better one than a transactional one-off one I I believe I think the any opportunity we can get to really push for these more ambassadorial longer-term partnerships like that's where it's going that has to be Mm -hmm. the, the more sustainable future for influencer marketing is It's people that are really advocating and championing a brand and they're not flitting between different brands. And it it just, again, it just brings up this trust um, that audiences are so longing for.
0: And I have to ask this one because The Drum recently set out to create our own virtual influencer. So, and I know, and her (laughs) name's (laughs) Flores Denas, and we did it almost to to understand the process of what's going on. But are virtual influencers ever going to be mainstream? Do they lack that humanity or are they solely a bit of a gimmick at the moment?
2: So I'm I'm really torn on this topic, honestly. <laughs> so when when I first saw uh, Lil Michaela who was yeah. I think the first virtual influencer, certainly the first one I came across, um, I was I was excited. I was like, "Wow, this is so cool! <laughs> Isn't this cool? <laughs> like fusing technology and art and talent and God, that is just brilliant." Um, but I'm it, then on the flip side, there is this kind of Black Mirror-esque moment, which is possibly shining the more cynical view of influencer marketing um, that, yeah, it it could be worrying and a a bit dangerous. But can they be mainstream? I think definitely they can be. I don't want them to be. I really hope that they don't become (laughs) mainstream because I think we are, as a people, the, the distance between connect connection human connection and intimacy is getting wider and wider um, and particularly now during you know, coronavirus and people have been locked down we've been having you know zoom parties and zoom weddings and zoom hen parties and all these things um, which is great to an extent but you need that it's not enough you need that human interaction and and actually content creators offer a, a lot of comfort and and to an extent, some human connection for people. So I, I I wonder what would happen if if it did all be kind of become virtual and and yeah, w- what would happen to influence marketing as well? Because how can you how can you trust something that isn't real? How can I buy yeah. a like a skincare product from a from someone that doesn't really have skin? <laughs> <laughs> so what would happen to my job you know yeah it's, it's a it's but yeah I mean I think it definitely can be I think it'll just depend how much longer we're all in we're all in lockdown for
0: <laughs> that's fair but yeah. I can't decide if that's sort of like I can't decide if that's hopeful or if that's depressing
2: um yeah uh, good question we'll we'll let the, we'll let the listeners decide
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah we'll include a poll
2: yeah well Sophie do. thank you
0: so thank you so much for that that's been incredibly insightful i wondered if maybe you could finish by sort of telling the telling the listeners where they can find you where they can find brave bison
2: oh sure so um okay so you can find brave bison at brave or you can follow us on instagram at brave underscore bison underscore io um and if you want to find out what i'm doing um is you can look me up on instagram me and my friend actually run a sustainability instagram account here in singapore we are called the Very conscious nice. two so at the conscious two bit of a shameless plug um <laughs> but uh but yeah that's probably like the best kind of insight um, into me or on linkedin um, i'm on linkedin look me up as sophie crowther um brave Bryson, and i'll come up
0: <laughs> amazing thank you so much that's been really really useful i know that the listeners will have really appreciated that as well
2: oh i'm so glad thank you so much for having me that was super fun
0: Thank you very much to both Bridie and Sophie for coming on this episode of the Drum Network podcast. If you'd like to find out more about the drum and the drum network, then please do visit thedrum.com. There you'll be able to find fantastic articles and insight written by the Drum Network's members. Do remember to sign up to receive every future episode of the Drum Network podcast, which is going to be taking a look at everything from the future of travel marketing to the tech that goes into creativity. But until next time, thank you very much for listening and we'll see you again soon.